This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Steven. I don't, I don't know how you change it up all the time. It just. I know. I just got to, yeah, I'm, I'm no Ranella. I'm no, um, what's that guy? Jo, jo, Josh Rogan. Is that his name? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, something, something like that. No, that's yeah. Seth Rogen. Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah, that's, Seth, that's the guy. Anyway, just kidding. We we love you, Joe. Um, anyway, cool. Uh, so it's um, episode ninety one. We've been working for a while to try and get Jason Matsker on the show. Uh, he's a busy guy. He's uh, lot lots on the go. He just talks about where uh, Hunty got back from, and uh, really cool to connect. Um, you know, I, I don't know Jason. Well, I met him once, and I wasn't sure. You know, even what we talk about, we're quite familiar with this platform and stuff. And it would just, it, you know, that hour just flies by instantly. He's got so many great stories and so many great experiences. And I knew there'd be some really good content. I just didn't know it'd be that good. Oh yeah, we've been trying to line this up for almost a year now, but just schedules didn't work. And yeah, here we are, finally meshed. And as you said, the hour flew by. Just genuine, genuine. You could you could just see. The, the passion when he got off talking about some things that uh, you'll hear about that meant the world to him. And I wish you could see the, the, the fire in his eyes and uh, it all like when he's replaying things in his mind, you could, you could just see it on his face that there, there's a true, a true love for what he does. It, it was great. Well, it's interesting what we do, right? We're a conservation organization. We talk sheep, right? And, uh, you know, this is the wheelhouse of what we do. And, you know, really at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're conservationists, we're sheep hunters, but at the end of the day, our, you know, we're putting sheep on the mountain. That's what we want to do. And, and he's got that common goal. He's a conservationist at heart. You know, he, I think he identifies, he used the word conservationist a lot more than he did hunting on this podcast, which was, which was pretty cool. Yep. Definitely noticed that he, uh, his, if you haven't had a chance to watch any of his shows, do it and you'll see why and, and how he tells his story versus uh, what a hunt is versus the emotion behind it, right? A, a lot of a, a lot of content out there is about the kill. Jason, Jason, Jason gives his perspective on why that's not the most important piece of his storytelling. And yeah, just can't get over it. Uh, it was it was such a good episode. Really enjoyed chatting. Well, the funny thing is, is a lot of what we're talking about, I kept thinking one campfire, one campfire, one campfire. And he's not really familiar with the brand, I don't think. We never discussed it. But the whole time, I'm like, this is just one campfire stuff. This is one campfire Yeah, stuff. absolutely. And that then, was a one campfire conversation um, without even mentioning the words one campfire at all. Yeah. So very cool. Um, yeah. So uh, great lesson. I'm sure you all are going to enjoy it. But um, on a housekeeping note, I am... I'm actually leaving on a sheep hunt in five days. Just saying. Yeah. I'm going to lock the door. Just saying. You guys are going to sleep on the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the time this releases this, you'll be just, will you be flying back on the 14th? No, nope, I'm still going to be in there. So, so this drops the 14th yeah. and I think I don't fly out till the 18th. So, so how'd you do? Or do we know yet? You got to in-reach yeah, me. Exactly. In-reach me. And I'll know, and I can update the show. No, I'm not in-reaching you because <laughs> you'll be putting lats and longs on uh, the freaking uh, podcast notes. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'll be. And everybody be going, why the hell is he hunting sheep in Vegas? That looks like the strip. What the hell? That's not- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's not going to happen. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm away for a couple of weeks. We recorded a couple of these in advance so that we can keep the weekly output going. And um Yeah. Uh, merch. You going to talk a little bit about that? Yep. By the time this drops, we should have some new hats in stock. Uh, we ran some of the the leather patch hats, trucker style hats that were really, really popular last year. And a couple of the colors sold out within, hell, two weeks. And we've re-upped on that. We've also added some new colors and a new color for the ladies. So there's a very limited run on the, the color for the ladies. So have a look uh, on our website in the sheep shop and grab yourself some stuff there. We've got some discounts on some of our older merchandise before we swap over the logo. Uh, we got some pretty kick-ass water bottles and they're, they, they Kyle's got one up the mountain with him right now. I guarantee it. And uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. Let us know what you think of the, the new colors and email us. If you 
you, you want to see something in the shop that currently isn't there. We're constantly working on bringing in some new stuff and rotating out some of the older stuff. So yeah, we, we want to do this uh, for you. So let us know what you want to see. Awesome, man. Very cool. With that, we are going to hear from a great conservationist, Jason Matziger. He's the host of Into High Country and just a great podcast on conservation and hunting. And uh, we talk a little bit about sheep too. So enjoy episode 91. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Well, good afternoon, Jason. Welcome to Talk of Sheep. We uh, we appreciate you connecting with us and coming on the show today. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, glad we could finally connect. We've kind of been back and forth, but uh, been something I've been wanting to do, so happy to be here. Well, it's awesome, man, and, and just love the work that you're doing in, in our community, the conservation world and the wild sheep community in particular. Um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. Last time I seen you was... Uh, we're getting on the uh, the bus at Sheep Week there, and uh, mm-hmm. we're at the Reno Sparks, and you had your Yeti pack on, and so the, my wife was eyeing your Yeti pack up. I'm like, hey, Jason, where did you get that pack? So <laughs> we got her a new pack anyway. So. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. How quickly Sheep Week kind of rolls around, which isn't a bad thing, but it just kind of the pace of life, you know, pretty crazy. So we'll be here before we know it again. Yeah, the rhythm cycle, and if you think about it, we're four and a half months out. That's freaking scary when you think four and a half months till sheep week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's awesome, but it's scary. No <laughs> doubt. So, a lot to do between yeah. now and then. Yeah, well, especially for a guy like yourself that's so busy in the field. This, and, you know, like, um, thank you for making it on the show here because I know this is – you're really literally rolling into your busy time of year right now. So, you know, before we kind of hit on all that stuff, let's back the train up and just kind of – you know, can you set the groundwork for us? You know, we watch your stuff, we hear all about you, but can you talk about your formative years? What got you into, I guess, into the the conservation community, the, you know, the the hunting community and, and then the film stuff, let's go down that side. So maybe take us back to those early days for us. Yeah, I think it was easy for me to kind of fall into the realm of hunting, just being born and raised here in Bozeman, Montana, hunting and ranching agriculture was a big part of the community here and um, my my dad and his friends it was something they loved to do from spring bear hunting to you know pursuing elk deer and antelope in the fall and so you know naturally as a young boy I tagged along and kind of fell in love with the process of being out there and trying to find these animals and just how much fun we would have while we were out there and then as I got older, dad would start dragging me to some of these conservation banquets, you know. Uh, I think the very first one I ever went to was a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquet that was actually their national one down in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we took a road trip down there, and I just remember it being a real cool atmosphere. I've always loved wildlife art and taxidermy and just everything around it. So for me, it was like you know, just so interesting, everything from the hunting aspect to the taxidermy to the artwork and everything. And so I just started going to more and more of those conservation shows with him and and uh, really kind of just fell in love, like I said, with the people and the missions and the stories. And I started to really understand that tie between what we were doing in the field and how important that work was that was being done, you know, with those organizations. And so it was an, it was a natural progression for me to want to, to, you know, want to tie that into my storytelling. Um, As I started to evolve in the television space and, you know, more opportunities opened up to, to tell stories in a long form like documentary films or short films. It wasn't just uh, kind of that hunting television format. And so I gravitated towards that and just 
you know, love to work with, uh, you know, started to partner with conservation organizations to try to help tell their story and their mission and why it's so important they do what they do and, and why people who, you know, love those animals or anything to, to do with the, the places they live, why they should be involved. And it's, uh, been about 13 years or 14 years now of doing it. And I haven't looked back. I just, I love what I do. And, you know, right up until now, I was telling you guys, I'm working on a documentary with the Wild Sheep Foundation uh, titled Selective, which is to try to help uh, give the general people a better understanding why trophy hunting is so important and why it's such a beautiful thing. And and why it should still be completely embraced and celebrated, you know, even today, what it's done for hunted and non-hunted species and just trying to tell those hard to tell stories and why they're important. And so that's kind of the fast forward clumped together version of everything. But uh, yeah, feel very fortunate to have a lot of good partners that help me um, be able to get out there and try to tell those stories too. Well, that's awesome. You do such a fantastic job. And I want to talk about, you know, those stories specifically, actually, and talk about Selective. Um, you know, I'm really familiar with Circle of Life. It's such a great film that you did there. And um, so I want to dive into all that. But before we get there, let's let's back it up again just to, you know, for you. And, you know, I, I can see behind you there's a, one of the pictures in there. There's a bunch of you around an animal that you guys have harvested. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, obviously that's part of your family and, and your heritage of where you come from. Uh, what was your first hunt where you actually harvested an animal? What was were you with your dad, or what was that like for you? What, that first animal that you took. Um, for me personally, the first uh, animal that I ever took was an antelope doe. Actually, it was the very first thing. It was, um, I think it was the perfect hunt as a young hunter in Montana. At the time, we were we had more you know, antelope than we had ever had in this state. And so if you kind of blew one herd, there would be another one. And so it was a good first hunt to go on. And, and, um, and then from there, I think the second animal I shot was an antelope buck and then a mule deer and, uh, took me quite a few years to get an elk. Um, but yeah, I kind of started with antelope and, you know, looking back, it's, uh, it was sort of the perfect animal. I mean, there was so many of them at the time that, yeah, you could screw up and just be right back on them. And, and it's open enough country that you can stand on about any knob at any given time and see animals out on the landscape. And so it was easy to keep a young kid entertained, I guess. Well, that's, and that's the thing too, right? I, I've taken my kids out hunting and that, you know, you don't see anything and it, you know, for a, a new young kid, you know, it's pretty demoralizing. It's like, you know, they're already, you know, you know, just trying to get, get them engaged and get excited. But to go like antelope, when you're going out and you're seeing 50 or a hundred at the time and say 500 in a day, it's eye opening, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, for yeah, that's sure. A, that's a hunt I've never had a chance to do yet. Antelope being, being living in BC, right. It's just not something I, 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 uh, yeah. have experienced. I've, I've seen them when we drove to Drumheller a couple of weeks ago, uh, Holy crap. About a month and a half ago now, there was a few antelope on the side in Alberta, but never had a chance to hunt them. It's always been a bucket list for me. Do, do you guys have tags in Alberta, like southern part or no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in BC, there's there's no species to hunt the antelope, but in Alberta, they do have a season. And, Alberta, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can... Yeah, Alberta's got, and I'm, uh, I'm actually going to go for. I have a tag for October. I've got a hunt booked, so um, pretty excited. It'll be the, you know, it's funny. I grew up in Alberta, Jason, and um, they were there for years. And then I, I hunted them archery wise, but uh, and actually they're pretty hunt uh, easy to hunt archery wise, as as you know, probably to kill a big one, it's tough. But you know, they're pretty curious animals. They're kind of like caribou. You can kind of almost you know flag them in with a white flag or whatever. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I've never had the opportunity to get one, but I've got a tag for this fall, so I'm pretty stoked about that for sure. So yeah, And that's in Alberta. Kind of interesting. I When I was in sheep camp up in the Northwest Territories, I ended up sharing camp with Tom Hoffman, 
who is uh, you yeah. know renowned sheep hunter kind of bow hunter figure and great guy got to you know have quite a few conversations with him and he told me well he was the first guy to kill the North American 29 that all animals made it into Pope and Young and he told me interestingly enough the last one that he had to do was a pronghorn antelope which I thought was kind of funny you know you would have thought it would have been a sheep or a brown bear or some something like that but it was an antelope so anyhow yeah fact well in, in <laughs> terms of yeah that's and tom yeah that's phenomenal with him but you know it's interesting they're, they're they're such a unique species you know like there's probably no prettier trophy than a, an antelope right they're just yeah. absolutely stunning um just yeah so you bet very cool i'm pretty excited about it that one you got behind you did you get that with your bow is that a archery one or what's the that's story a on rifle that one? That's bill, a... actually i got that one okay with my dad he's just really unique because he bends forward you know instead of kind of the traditional in or even back and so we chased him for quite a while and then finally got him so it was a pretty neat hunt i was like 14 when i got that one so right on what, what about the one over your uh, right shoulder? That's a hammer buck that, as well. Then. Yeah, that's actually probably the biggest antelope I've ever shot with a bow. And that was uh, on a Wyoming uh, archery draw tag. Well, it was either a uh, weapon, but I shot it with a bow. And yeah, he, he was a big dude. Shot him right at daylight the first morning. Just got lucky. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Decoyed awesome. him right that's in. I saw cool. him chasing... Uh, another buck off and he left his does like you know 300 yards away just chasing this other buck as fast as he could go and so I had my decoy ready and so while he was paying attention to that buck I just ran out and slipped right between him and his does and set that decoy up and when he got done chasing that buck he turned around looked and saw my decoy sitting there and he was just on top of me in no time so it's pretty cool that's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. They're such a cool animal to hunt, hey? That's, uh, yeah, very cool. And then you see so many, too. It's such a rewarding hunt in that regard as well. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about film. So where did where does that fit in? So we know you grew up with the hunting aspect. Where did that come from? Where, where's the genesis of you and picking up the camera and, and doing the great work that you do? Um, well... I appreciate the kind words there. Thank you. Um, it all started, I was, uh, <clears throat> well, first of all, my dad and his friends, like before I was old enough to hunt, my dad had an old video camera. And so I would try to film, you know, what I could when I was too young to hunt, following them along. But even to back it up a little before that, you know, my dad and his best friend had an eight millimeter camera with uh, rolls of film that were two minutes long and I can remember they had a few uh, hunts on there that I can remember watching when I was little there was no sound and we'd have to hook it up to a projector that you know we'd have to take a picture off the wall or do something to project it on there and I remember watching caribou hunts and I remember some of his like trips into Yellowstone with sheep and and bison and stuff like that just filming them and um, so my, I feel like my dad and his friends, you know, kind of teed it up. They always sort of dabbled in it. And I tried doing it before I was old enough to hunt. But then as I got older um, and hunting television became a thing, not just, you know, VHS tapes that you could rent at the <laughs> local video store or whatever. It was actually on TV. I just started to feel like, even though those shows were good at the time, they didn't really kind of portray my way of hunting or how me and my family or friends felt like when we were out there or our story, you know, the big story. And so um, I just started filming as much as I could with no real direction of, you know, how I was going to make it work. Um, I just started kind of filming my friends and, myself out there as much as I could and got this archive going and and uh like I said TV was getting bigger and bigger and um being here in Bozeman I was kind of fortunate because there's so many outdoor companies based right here in Bozeman and so I was able to sort of get relationships going with some of those companies 
on a very grassroots ground level, like Schnee's boots and shoes are based right here in Bozeman, or like Montana canvas wall tents or mystery ranch packs or, um, you know, and so it w I was able to sort of talk to these companies and sort of get the ball rolling. And I started doing DVDs and then Schnee's was really the first one that sort of saw what I had and got behind it and said, yeah, we should make a TV show. And and um, so I worked with them to get the show off the ground the first few years, and it just snowballed from there. But, um, you know, I'd say it really just started from knowing what I was seeing out there on a day-to-day -day basis. I was guiding at the time, um, doing a lot of guiding, and just never seeing that come up on TV and feeling like, man, I got to... I want to capture what I see out here and tell tell my story because I'm just not seeing it with what I'm seeing on TV. Yeah, right on. So, you know, maybe yeah, there's a bunch I'd love to dive in there, but let's, <laughs> this is very topical now. You talk about that aspect of it. You know, we, we've seen this, uh, you know, evolution, you know. 20 years ago, you, you, you know, 60 bucks in 60 minutes and, you know, you just a, a lot of, you know, stuff that made us as hunters. It didn't do us uh, any favors. Anyone that wasn't a hunter that turned it on, on TV and watched some of these, these shows back, back in the day, I think it's gotten better. I don't watch a lot of mainstream TV, to be honest with you. So I'm not the best uh, person, but, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Have you seen an evolution in TV? Have you seen more, you know, Jason type stories being told and more about, you know, the documentary style and about, you know, why we hunt and it's not about the kill. It's not about, you know, massive bucks hitting the ground every three seconds. Um, have you seen an evolution in a change in the way? And, and you've been part of that, changing that lead. So talk a little bit about that first, how you see it being in the industry. I do see, you know, this is our 13th season of being on now. And I definitely have seen a change in a couple things. I've seen a change in the way that hunting is being presented. There's a, but, a much better story being told behind this content. Um, when it comes to hunting television and, and, and short films and things like that, you know, um, short films are a great way to tell a, a real, you know, uh, great story of you know, meaning to something beyond just the hunt or the kill itself. And so I've definitely seen this trend go from, like you say, how many kills or kill shots can we stack up in a 22-minute episode to, you know, how cinematic can we uh, capture the shots? You know, how creative can we be? Um, what's the big story? Um, why is it important to um, anybody watching um you know, uh, there's more of these questions being asked from producers, and a lot of my friends work really hard to try to make these stories. And beyond that, you know, conservation I've seen come a long ways. Like when I first started trying to tell these conservation stories, there was really nobody out there talking about conservation or putting out, you know, films about conservation or you know, just trying to tell the stories of what these organizations was doing there or were doing, it was just a couple of people. And that's one thing I'd say I'm really proud to see beyond just the messaging changing is how many more people are talking about conservation, conservation and wanting to dive in and, you know, ask the right questions. How can I help? How can I get involved? And then once they do, you know, trying to relay that through their platforms. And so I've seen this huge shift of, you know, how many kills can we stack up to why are hunters relevant to the general public and, and how can we be better? And what, what's our next mission? You know, is it, is it open public lands? Is it, you know, helping the caribou up north? Is it you know, the pneumonia and sheep, and we're constantly changing our focus as a group to try to help. And, and I just, I didn't see that when I first came on. And so I, I definitely have seen a shift and I think it's all, 
you know, I shouldn't say all for the better, but I think for the most part, it's for the better. Now, where I see us, you know, sort of maybe losing ground is the advent of social media and YouTube and all these unregulated platforms where anybody has the opportunity to go out and really put something out there that, you know, maybe shouldn't be seen by people um, outside of hunting, you know, something we understand and we get, but not everything needs to be put out there. And so, you know, with within the regulated platforms, I've really seen this elevated sort of mission. I feel like sometimes we kind of take a hit on the back back end with some of the stuff that happens on social media. But I think the 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 companies and the the groups and the the major players are really you know pushing that conservation message, and it's great to see. Yeah, those those are the ones that unfortunately always go viral, right? It's never the great storytelling where somebody talks no. about the start to finish of the hunt and why they're doing it and what it means to them on a personal spiritual level. It's always the ones that uh, do something boneheaded that end up getting dragged into the media, and then we're we're on our heels again fighting. To, to show that it's not always the case, right? And that's why I appreciate storytelling like yours, as Kyle said. Th- those are the ones that really grab a hold of the ones that matter. Oh, I appreciate that. And I think that's exactly why what drives me to want to put out a story like Selective is because, you know, kind of as I look at the industry or or films or productions, like we've dabbled in trophy hunting and we've dabbled why it's important or why it started or when it started and that kind of thing. But it seems like anytime we bring it up, it's sort of in defense of an attack from something that happened. And I just never feel like we've ever collectively really come out with this one powerful piece that really says, okay, time out. Here's what trophy hunting is. Here's why it started. Here's what it's done for wildlife since the beginning and what it continues to do for hunted and non-hunted species and why, you know, it's still important that it's implemented today. And, you know, accepting the fact that, yeah, trophy maybe wasn't the best word to describe it. And that's why selective has become a word that we're trying to sort of interject more and more because it is that one word, you know, that is a better descriptor of what we're actually doing than trophy hunting. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to tell that trophy hunting story because it is so misunderstood. And most most of the time we, t- we tend to shy away from it because it is touchy and it really opens a can of worms. But I just, I like those subjects, like airing them out and talking to a lot of different people. And, you know, so I hope this film is something that we can all be, you know, as hunters and conservationists proud of to use as, as an example of you know, why it was started and why it's important today. And, and through this film, you know, hopefully bring to light a lot of why these other steps in the process are so important too. Yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be fantastic, Jason. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Like, you know, one of the things that I see in our community that, you know, we've come a long ways, we've done a good job, but around even this selective trophy hunting issue, we still get people internally, like our own people that don't understand it. They don't support it. Um, you know, and interesting enough, there's uh, one of our public figures in our space was on Rogan, you know, trashing trophy hunting. And uh, so how how do we better articulate or what can we do a little differently to, you know, get everyone speaking on the same terms? And, and we've seen it, like you said, on this unregulated social media, it's like, I can post whatever I want on the internet, people will say, right? And it's like, yeah, but there's these consequences and people go, we, I don't care. I'm proud to be a hunter. And and the disservice and, the, and the, the challenges that we face trying to sort of, you know, counter that stuff. So, you know, what what can we do just when you share your message to the greater hunting and just in let's just talk internally to get everyone on the same page to think like kind of we do when it comes to 
getting a better message out to the general public? How do we do a better job of that? Well, I think just education is key, you know, sort of trying to bring points to light that maybe they haven't thought of um, or why it's important to not do certain things or why it's important to do certain things. And, you know, I think we get defensive, you know, over the things that we're super passionate about. Um, And so I think, you know, I, I, like anybody, am super proud of who I am and what I do. But I also realize that the future of hunting really comes down to the masses of people and the people that are outside of hunting and their perception of hunting. You know, each and every one of us, whether you're an influencer or have a TV show or a podcast or whatever, you know, are important to the future of hunting because our numbers are so small and and the perception of what you put out is really important to the future. Like their vote is what counts for keeping us, you know, being able to do what we do. And so I think just having some of those hard conversations and I think just leading by example and and just, you know, not getting discouraged because, yeah, I mean, I the, some of the hardest con- – I never would have dreamed – when I started doing this, that it was actually hunters that I would have the hardest conversations with over support of what I do. I mean, I really thought that it was going to be these anti-hunting communities and and individuals that were just going to bombard me. And yeah, you get that from time to time. But the constant, you know, that gets frustrating at times is the the conversations with hunters and sort of the infighting and, and, um, you know, that's a great question. I'm sitting here trying to think like, what, what do we do to get everybody on the same page? And I mean, that's, that's the golden question, like what we're all trying to do. And, and, um, I think overall, I think social media has been around long enough that anybody that's paid attention to it over the last 10 years should be able to see the negative consequences that can come from, you know, not being responsible with the things you say or the things you post, you know, and I think we all went through this learning curve of, you know, figuring out what social media was and what sort of power it really had. I know I went through it um, and really had to sort of, reel some things back you know in the beginning it was just this fantastic thing to share everything and then it you know you started to realize the powers it could have and so I think that you know I'd like to think that the worst of the damage has been done that um and that the greater population of hunters has sort of learned through trial and error I guess what to do and what not to do and and um so I hope that through time and through, unfortunately, bad, you know, things getting shut down or whatever it may be, you know, we get better as a group and, and, um, but time will tell, I guess, um, the, the, the infighting does definitely get frustrating. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You expect it from the anti-hunters, but internally you think, you know, there'd be just broad-based support, you know, everybody be pulling the same weight and, yeah, we've all seen that that's not always the case. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can, can we flip back? So you talked about you've seen this evolution from, you know, over the past 13 years, you know, from, you know, the, the, the stories that used to be told to the stories that are being told now. Lots of focus on the conservation and stuff. Do you – what do you think we can attribute that to? Is it attributing to realizing that, oh, we weren't doing the best job of telling our story or is it because of people like yourselves that are doing a better job of telling the story? Or is it because of conservation organizations like uh, MDF or RMEF or WSF or NWTF? Is, is that the source of it? What, what do you, or is it kind of a, all those things? What do you think is causing this, this shift in what we're seeing, even in the content that we're seeing and kind of the, the general consensus around our hunting image? Well, I think it kind of came out of necessity. You know, I think... I started doing a lot of this work with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, excuse me, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And, you know, they've been around for 
a lot of years. And so they've been sort of leading the charge on a lot of fronts in a number of different ways. And, and I think that, you know, there comes a time in, with any organization where you build, you build, you build, you get your foundation, your support, and then you have to start, you know, not only recruiting more people to get into the fold, younger people to get into the fold, that kind of thing, but also reassuring your um, core group of what you're doing, you know, and I think there there comes a time with these organizations where their members want to know what they're doing with the money, with these funds, with all this stuff that they're working and and people are donating their 40, you know, 50, 100, whatever it is a year. Um, I think it's important, you know, it became important for them to say, okay, we need to start showing people what we're doing and why it's important as an organization. So as these organizations started to get older, started investing in bigger projects, you know, had bigger stories to tell. Um, When I first started doing stuff with the Elk Foundation, that's a lot of what it was, was, you know, hey, we just bought this section of land, which opened up and enhanced a million acres for hunters, recreationists, hikers, and naturalists to go enjoy, you know, so we would go film the trailhead and we would go film the property and we would, you know, show those steps. And so it was really important, you know, in the the process of, for these organizations to, to, continue their mission and and show their members what was happening and so i think that you know it started from the organizations needing to tell their story and wanting to tell their story and needing to evolve you know it wasn't just print ads it wasn't just uh tv now you know there was podcasts and now there there was social media and there was short films and there was all these things and so I think it was just timing of everything. And, you know, hunters being under attack more than ever, you know, and us needing to go like, okay, hang on. Why why are we important? You know, what can I tell this guy that's sitting next to me at the bar that's just chewing me out because he found out I'm a hunter? What can I tell him about why it's important I continue to be a hunter other than It just looks pretty on my wall. And so I think as we got challenged as hunters, it became important for us to understand why it was important we do what we do. And and as a as a group, as a whole, we wanted to learn more and we wanted to spread that message. And I think that that's what helped me and what I did so early on as I was one of the first people to put this into this package that could be shared on social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram really wasn't even a thing at the time. It was more just Facebook and, and, and hunters latched onto it. They were like, yes, I need to share this because this is why I do what I do. I've never really been able to describe it, but here it is. And so the support for that blew up. And I think other people wanting to do similar things to what I do, saw the support in that and continued to keep that snowball rolling. And so I think it was a number of things working together at the the point in time that it was needed. Awesome. So, you know, Jason, you've done a ton of work over the years. You've worked with a number of organizations to the foundations, one of them, Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, you know, I, I love Circle of Life, um, but, you, you know, you. you've told a number of stories Hunting is conservation. Um, you know, this is hunting. Uh, is there one that resonates with you that really, you know, told a story that that meant the most to you? Is it one that stands out, or one that really is you feel is the most impactful of all the work you've done over the years? Tough question. I think, <laughs> spot. So. It is kind of a tough question. Um, yeah, they all kind of have their special place in my heart. Um, you know, and they're all kind of part of this series. Like I, I t- kind of title it my conservation series, like Project Elk. You know, the mission was to teach people how hunting is conservation, just the big picture. Project Mule Deer was to teach people why land conservation and management and habitat enhancement and restoration was so important. 
uh, um, and keeping migratory corridors connected for these animals to be able to freely travel back and forth. That was kind of the mission of that one. Circle of Life was kind of like, why are big money auction tags and organizations like the Wild Sheep Foundation so important to the the future of, um, you know, an animal like the wild sheep? Why is a guy buying a tag for a half a million dollars um, to hunt one animal a beautiful thing? That was kind of the story behind that. Project Landlocked was the story behind the available public land in the United States that we can't access. And as we look to the future, you know, we're not slowing down the rate in which humanity is expanding and the human population is exploding. And so what are the answers? You know, what what are solutions to everybody having a quality of life and everybody having this opportunity to go hunting and fishing and, and, and enjoy what we have? You know, the future of the public lands was the was the, the topic of that one. And and, you know, now Selective is going to be this trophy hunting story and why from the beginning this trophy collection, the, the national collection of heads and horns sparked conservation in North America like a collection of taxidermy in the Bronx Zoo in downtown New York City. And, and so, man, I know that's a super long-winded answer, but um, they all just, you know, I've put my heart in everything I have into every one of those pieces. And so to pick out one is tough. You know, Project Elk probably sticks out the most just because, man, I was cutting my teeth on that one. Like I was, I was unproven. I had all this footage from all these different cameras. I had all these shots that I had gotten from, you know, all over of just the best elk shots I had. And I was trying to make this documentary and I wanted to do something different and next level and, you know, and so I busted my ass on that film. And and when it came out, I remember bawling when like when I watched the first cut of it, because I had a team of people involved from sound people to writers to, you know, camera guys to, uh, you know, assistant editors and this this whole team. And when they showed me the final cut for the first time, I remember flat out it hit a point in the film that it was just like I couldn't hold it back. The sense of pride I had for what we had accomplished was so overwhelming. And so, you know, I'd have to say probably Project Elk just because of the struggle to kind of get that first one going, you know. Awesome. So you've told these fantastic stories and you're you're working every day and, and creating content. Is there a story that you really want to tell? Is there something you know, obviously you're you're visionary. You've got these uh, ideas and, and concepts and, and stories that you want to tell. That's what you do for a living. But is there something? Is there an untold story out there that's kind of in that you can share with us? I, I don't want to steal your content here, but I'm just yeah, curious no, if you got something on the horizon. You know, someday, like somebody I really look up to is David Attenborough. I don't know if you guys watch his Planet Earth specials and Life on This Planet mm-hmm. and. And different things, but I seek a lot of information. He's literally dedicated his life to just making the world a better place for people, for wildlife, for habitat, and um, just so smart. And I, I love his delivery and everything. But, but anyway, you know, he's getting to the point where he just put out a film called "The Life on This Planet." It's his last one, and it's literally like everything he's learned from being to Africa, to Australia, to the U.S., to just these world travels and living with the villagers and all this and like putting it all together and what that means globally. And so I think without getting into too much detail, um, I would just like to someday put together a film that encompasses all of this and how all of these films I've been working on can go together in one giant picture that's this, you know, shows scenes in Africa and shows scenes in Antarctica and shows scenes, but like the hunter impact globally. And, and so it's, you know, there's still a lot to do, but I I'd say if there's one that, you know, I'm kind of reaching for the stars on, it would be something like that. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's very cool. It'd be 
be a fantastic project to to see. So the, the bulkier stuff has been North America, I guess. Um, do you have do you have visions of doing some of that stuff uh, outside of the the bounds of North America, or, or is that is that on the horizon, or what does that look like for you? I mean, I I, I don't have any set goal to start reaching across the you know, seas to other continents and trying to dive into being an expert in what it takes for them to be, you know, better conservationists. I think we've got so many challenges right here on our own home soil that we need focused attention on that um, I think it would be hard for me to ever feel confident enough to step outside of what I know and feel like I'm a voice of any sort. So, Although I'd like to say someday, you know, I'd like to learn more and expand my horizons. Right now, I, I don't have that vision because I just don't have that expertise. You know, I don't feel like I, I should be the guy to talk about uh, issues globally right now. I'm starting to get a little I guess further there's... north, like <laughs> a little further <laughs> north up towards you guys, a little further south. But I'm still right in that little parallel right there. <laughs> Well, and, and truth be told, there's enough stories to be told at home right now too, right? You don't even need to venture very far just to tell the stories that we have uh, locally here. Certainly, and you're in that hot spot of Bozeman for the conservation mecca of the world. It's such a great spot to be for for the work that you do, right? It is, yeah. Uh, the wild sheep folks are just down the street. I get to see them and work with them on a regular basis. So it's pretty pretty awesome having them right here. And in fact. Uh, Sitka's having a pre-season uh, kickoff party tonight at their store, which is like a block or two down from my office. So from five to seven, I'll be there having some beer and telling some stories and guys from OnX will be there doing some stuff. So yeah, I definitely live in the Mecca of it here for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I love, love that part of the world. Um, okay. Are you able to talk a little bit about Selective and a little bit about your hunt, or is that? I know the film's not out yet, and I don't want to ruin anything, but love to hear anything you can tell us about it. Yeah, so I mean, we've been this concept actually came up in 2018. Um, I was supposed to do this hunt in the NWT in 2020, and you know, as you know, the border and the complications there, it's gotten push back to where it was actually this year I was finally able to go do the hunt portion. So this film originally was supposed to launch in the summer of, I guess it would be the summer of 21. So I had collected a lot of content already um, on the back end as far as trophies, trophy hunting, interviews, scoring. Um, you know, we went and... Um, I was invited to go sit in with the panel scorers down in Springfield, Missouri for this last seven-year stint of the Boone and Crockett book. So all the latest records from the last seven years were were down there, and they had the panel scorers in there. And for since the club's uh, inception, they've never let anybody who wasn't a panel scorer in the room when they're actually scoring these records animals they have four panel scores in there two groups of two and um but they wanted to sort of shed some light on what it is they do you know kind of like we talked about Boone and Crockett is and Pope and Young both are at this place of trying to remind hunters and and non-hunters why it's so important that they are an organization and a club and and why they were founded and why it's still important today and so like this this trophy thing is important for them. And anyway, um, we were able to sit in and film them scoring. It's the new number four bighorn in the world, which was actually a pickup off a of wild horse Island. And I think it was like two Oh, two Oh six or two Oh eight or something like that. Just a giant, but we got to sit in with the panel score in that Ram. And so, you know, we've got all these cool scenes of, the ram being uncrated to being scored to put up in the museum in this beautiful display and them, you know, discussing the score and all of this, everything. And then the national collection I talked about, um, we got a bunch of, we went and filmed that whole original collection, which 
you know, there's a huge story behind that, which we'll, we'll tell in the film, but basically it was Teddy Roosevelt's idea for him and his buddies to go out and kill as many animals across the world as they could and get them mounted and make this national collection of heads and horns. And they put it right outside the Bronx Zoo. And it was a, it was a scare tactic. Um, he put a sign above it that said, in memory of the vanishing big game of the world. And so when people went to the zoo to check out these animals, they were sort of force-fed this taxidermy collection of these animals that were vanishing, and it sparked people to want to help. And so we tell that whole story, you know, and this is besides the hunt. Like, we've been building just a ton of cool background of why trophy and selective harvest is so important in this, these data points that is the record book, you know, what that means to hunting and conservation and the future and the proof of what we're doing and why it's, you know, it shows it's working. And so, you know, it's been a quite a, a road of building up to just now wanting to get the hunt and uh, do the hunt so we could continue the film. And, um, Oh, excuse me. Um, and the hunt was just incredible. I mean, I had, I remember talking to Gray Thornton and Keith Balford uh, from Wild Sheep before I left, and both of them said, like, you'll come back a changed man from that hunt. You know, it, it, it'll, it'll do something to you, and they weren't wrong. I mean, that experience up, where, up there in the Northwest Territories and the, the country and, you know, just the style of hunting and being submersed in it was, you know— more than I have time to talk about, but they weren't wrong. It definitely, you know, makes me crave that type of big adventure more. And, you know, I went into it with total blinders on of bow or nothing. I wanted to kill the ram with a bow or nothing. And I thought like, you know, the more I struggled, the better it would be for this trophy hunting story we were trying to tell. I wanted to show people who didn't understand trophy hunting that not all of it's easy. Like, it's, some of it's very, very hard, you know. And so I thought, okay, if I go bow hunt doll sheep, what a great hunt to sh sort of show this quintessential trophy hunt. And, you know, hunted with Dustin Rowe up there and... and um I mean, we, we had a heck of a hunt. I ended up passing up a six or seven year old ram at like three yards in his bed, um, full curled, totally legal ram, but you know, just young. And, um, but that to me was just like, you know, putting a notch in the saddle or something like at that point, I felt like the scratch was really itched for wanting to bow hunt doll sheep. Like, it was just incredible, and that's we got some cool film of that whole um, kind of encounter, and had some other close ones. And as the hunt went on, you know, I just I started to realize that as much as I thought, like, oh, if I don't kill one, I can come back someday. Um, you start to realize it's not that easy when you're up there. I mean, a the hunt itself is is way hard. I knew it was going to be hard, but it was even harder than I thought, you know. Um, but beyond that, you start to realize the logistics it takes to get you into that place in the world and the amount of time that it takes out of your summer. You know, I didn't have a chance to do a lot with my boys this summer. And so, I don't know that while they're still young, I want to take that time out of my summer again to, you know, go on a sheep hunt. Maybe when I get older, but then, you know, tomorrow's never promised. And so you're up on the mountain and your mind is just going. And so the last second to last day of the hunt, we found a we knew he was at least a 12 year old ram wide open stuff like we just felt like very low odds for a bow stock. And Dustin had been packing the rifle. And so we made the decision to take him, snuck up on him in his bed and kind of let him stand and, you know, was able to make a good shot. And 
it was just, you know, it was 10 after 10 on the ninth out of 10th day. So we basically had time to go up there, you know, just soak in the moment, get some video, get some photos. We cut out a backstrap, cut some little fillets out of that and cooked his backstrap on a piece of uh, slate there with the jet boil. Had some fresh steaks. We had taken a little Ziploc full of seasoning to sprinkle on there. And it was like the first fresh protein we had had in a while, you know. So it just tasted amazing. And the ram laying right there. And we were beat. So we decided to pitch the tents, get a couple hours sleep, and get up and finish working on the ram the next morning. So we got a few hours sleep, got up, finished working on the ram, had some coffee, and then uh, we're able to haul him up to where we could get picked up by the helicopter and headed back to main camp and had about enough time for a shower and throwing some salt on the hide and, you know, and getting some dinner and heading out the next day. So, you know, it was, it was just awesome to feel like, you know, really made the most of every moment out there and soak up that experience. Um, now I just crave it. <laughs> so you going back this year? Or what? I guess you got a full slate ahead of you as it is probably. So <laughs> what's, what's the plan no, for your next? No plan set to go back. Um, I know Dustin is, uh, you know, we've been talking about maybe trying to get something for stone sheep lined up years down the road, but nothing, nothing for certain right now. So we'll see. I was just going to say that you got to come to BC and kill a stone sheep and Dustin's your guy. He'll get you set up. He's got uh, his concession up here and uh, that'd be a great hunt and great story for sure. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, cool. not much uh, beats uh, fresh dull sheep meat on the mountain like that though. Eh? And uh, on a piece of rock and just Stop amazing. It, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. And then I, I hauled home uh, two full hind quarters. We, I left it on the bone so we could do the flip flop cooking here. So um, I came home and like two days later, it was the total archery challenge up in big sky uh, resort. And so um, Yeti, was kind of hosting a barbecue there. So I took one of my doll Heinz there and they had a guy doing the flip-flop, the, the flip-flop guy there, you know, cooking it up and it was incredible. So was able to even come yeah. home and share some of it, you know, as fresh as it could be back to Montana. So that was really awesome. And just part of, you know, why I love to do what we do, that sense of pride, you know, when somebody comes up and is like, that is the most amazing piece of meat I've ever had in my life. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, that's, you don't get that when you like, you know, feed them some ribs from Costco or something as good as they are. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Nobody ever yeah. comes up and compliments you on how amazing it is. So it's just all part of the process, you know? Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I have to say that that's a luxury to have, have that to show up at Big Sky and get a piece of dull sheep meat. That's incredible. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably won't ever happen again. <laughs> it was That's a proud, cool. proud hunter moment for sure. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Um, when does the film drop? When's selective? What, are we going to see it for Sheep Week or what's the plan? Um, so you'll see the trailer for Sheep Week. Okay. Um, we're yeah. going to present it either Friday or Saturday night, show like about a five nice. minute trailer and talk about the project and you know, um, why it was, I guess the wild sheep thought it was important to get behind it. Um, and then the film will actually drop next summer, actually at big sky here in Montana. Um, we're, we're doing like, a under the stars, uh, blow up screen with a big set of speakers and kind of do like a fundraiser for wild sheep. Yet he's going to get us some cups and we'll have some beer and some you know, some barbecue going and get some raffles. And so if you guys are available towards the end of next July, you should try to make it down. It's going to be a good time. Road trip. Epic. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I could be convinced of that. It's awesome <laughs> for sure. So let's talk about, I guess let's talk about, well, I guess what the show, like into high country, is that stuff that's coming out? Um, does this season come out with, this year's content or how does that work with your 
your your business rhythm when it comes to the show and stuff like that. So talk about what you're doing this year and when we're going to see it. I guess that's the big thing that I'm curious about. Yeah, so for network TV, there's usually a delay with my fall hunts. So I'm kicking out shows right now on Sportsman's Channel that we actually filmed last fall. Um, With the exception of, I usually incorporate my spring hunts. So spring bear, or like I'm cutting a show from Texas. I went and bow hunted Audad down in uh, South Texas last year or excuse me, West Texas. And um, so my spring hunts will get into the same year that I hunted them, but fall hunts, there's usually a kind of a delay there. So just getting ready to head out for elk here in a couple of days. And yeah, that show will probably likely first be seen um, like July 1 of 2023. So quite a delay there, but um, that... um, when you kind of have been doing it long enough, it's like there's this constant sort of content wheel anyway, you know. So long as there's more coming, there's always something to kick out. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you look back over your career, you like, um, I guess we won't limit it to, you know, TV per se. Um, is there a favorite hunt? And then what's the bucket list hunt? Is it the stone sheep? What What's... So what are those two things? What's on the horizon for you? And then what, what stands out as your most, not so your, I don't think so much a show, but more so the most memorable hunt that you recall. You know, hunts, as you guys I'm sure can attest, all have different things that make them memorable. You know, like it's hard to forget my boy's first deer or my first deer or you know, my dad's biggest bull where he had just got heart surgery right before that. Like there's those hunts that really stick out to me, but, um, you know, I'd have to say favorite hunt, like it's, it's tough to top that doll sheep hunt. Like that redefined adventure for me and, um, sort of what I was capable of, you know, like, Montana's some big country, but nothing like the Northwest Territories. And it made me realize I was, you know, I could look at Montana on a much grander scale and I could be doing a lot more back home and, and physically, you know, um, felt great on that hunt. And we were hunting in more rugged stuff with more weight than, you know, for nine days, I, I can remember packing for a long time. And so, um, Okay. Yeah. What, what kind of weight were you carrying? Like, what would you, what would your pack be on, on a typical trip? Uh, I would say what, what were you guys 50 pushing? to 60 pounds is what we were doing on a day-to-day basis. And we never had like a camp we were going back to. We were moving every day and trying to find the rams and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah. you know, it just made me excited to kind of take some of that sort of technique and apply it into some of my hunting back here. And, um, but yeah, that doll sheep hunt, I mean, it really just, it's hard to just, it's hard to put into words, but the people I was with, the people I met, you know, the, the place, the stuff I got to see, um, you know, just kind of mentally and, and physically, you know, how it sort of elevated me and just a lot of levels. It's, I don't know if it's just because that one's super fresh and it was a tough hunt or if if it'll stick with me like that. But right now, it's that one's going to be tough to top. And, uh, you know, as far as bucket list, yeah, I mean, I want to definitely continue to hunt sheep. Um, I love, love just being in that country or whether it's bighorns or dolls. I've never experienced deserts or, uh, or stones. But, and then like, uh, you know, I'd like to do brown bear. I'd like to do grizzly. I'd like to kill a big Alaskan moose sometime. I've done Shiras and I've done Canadian. Um, I'm actually coming to hunt uh, in Alberta for Canadian moose October 3rd through the 12th this year. So I'm pretty jacked about that. But uh, cool. Where's that, uh, Jason? Do you know who that is with? Do you recall? Um, so I got a good friend that's an outfitter up there. His name's Colin Paley. He owns Northern Edge Outfitting. Um, he's out of Thorhild. Yeah. So um, we're kind of hunting. 
where he hunts is basically sort of right about where farmland kind of trickles into bush country. And so you can kind of catch them in farmland, but also, you know, there's some, there's some thicker bush country in there. So excited. That was sort of a cancellation hunt and last minute deal that I couldn't say no to, but, um, I find myself gravitating towards wanting to come up in your guys' neck of the woods to hunt. You know, that's where my bucket list critters are versus like overseas or even Mexico or, you know, some of that. I I find myself really looking north most of the time when I find myself daydreaming of, you know, bucket list stuff. Yeah, very cool. Well, we'd love to have you up here for sure. So um, so before we wrap up... um, People want to see your content, um, kind of give us an overview of, of best place to go, where we can catch all your shows, all your stuff. Um, what, what's the best platforms for that? So, um, you know, up there, I am on Sportsman's Channel Canada. Um, I'm not sure all the different airtimes, but we're on, you know, four times a week. Um, Into High Country is the name of the show. And Um, from there, once they air in Canada, then they go on my YouTube channel. So just Jason Matzinger on YouTube. Um, I have most of my past episodes, but, um, my outdoor TV is a streaming network through sportsman and outdoor channel. I have all my past seasons, uh, and episodes on there. Um, so yeah, those would probably be the main places to find them. And then, to kind of follow along day to day, like my social media handle is Jason Matzinger official, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, you can follow me on there. And I try to do a pretty good job of keeping people in the know, but, um, those are, those are the main spots. And then sportsman's channel here in the States, we come on every Monday night at seven thirty. So Right on. That's very cool. We appreciate you taking the time today and, and just we're grateful for all the work you you do. And I, I'm really stoked to to watch Selective. That's going to be a fantastic film. Uh, maybe if you're up for it, we'll try and grab you down at Sheep Week and uh, maybe grab a podcast down there and maybe talk about the film a little bit more. Um, I don't know, maybe it might be premature, but at least catch up on your season. If uh, It's always tough to carve that time out, but it'd be great to t- touch base again. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to if time allows. Always good catch. Awesome. Well, we thank you for your time, Jason. We appreciate all you're doing for our our wild sheep world and the conservation community. And you know, Wild Sheep BC, Wild Sheep Foundation, Steve and I. That that's that's what makes us tick. And you know, it's uh, you're leading that charge and telling our story. And we're sure grateful for all you do. Thank you. Well, I sure appreciate that. I turn it right back around on you guys. I mean, it takes a team of people and the work that you guys do wild sheep you know with wild sheep bc and and with the podcast and getting these messages out there i mean it takes takes us all working together so thank you for everything you guys do as well awesome we'll have a great hunt this fall and uh, look forward to catching up on it and seeing uh, seeing how it goes for you i'm sure you'll have a ton of great more stories to share with us i sure hope so thank you